keep yourself unspotted by the world. I was uh, telling, um, telling Andy earlier on that, that during this week, I actually, well, let's say about a week ago, I was looking at this title and I was still struggling for content. And I know that's not the way these things should work. But, you know, I'll be honest. But thankfully, since then, it's all, gone, it's all gone kaboom. And I love it when, you know, you get into something and God's opening this channel and that channel. And um, it, just, it just explodes. And so I've done my best to, to reduce it down to something that you can tolerate on a Sunday morning. But keep yourself unspotted by the world. Possibly... The, uh, the preach title about which I've had most questions, and I'll show you where this comes from, and I'll also show you a version we can understand. Uh, so, I'm basing myself in James 1, 26, 27, and you know that when a preacher bases themselves in James, it's not going to be without some contentious or perhaps, uh, you know, difficult, difficult points. But, you know, let's, let's see what happens. The New King James Version says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's where this comes from. And in the New, Inter- uh, New International Version, or the NIV, the nearly infallible version, let's go for those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that, our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That make more sense? Because I've, I've never really uh, wanted to keep myself unspotted. You know, pollution's bad. I can, I can go with that. But I didn't know what, if spots were good or bad. Keep yourself from being polluted by the world. I've got three definitions of the world here um, that we need to look at. And we need to make sure that we understand what world we're talking about. Number one, the world, the planet on which we all exist, the physical planet and the things herein, the soil, the atmosphere, the world. Interesting. Number two, non-Christian people as opposed to the saints. So the unsaved, the world, culture. Humanity. It says in in John three sixteen, quite a famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. God's love was not for the planet, although I'm sure he does. But he did not give his Son for the planet. He gave his Son for the occupants, the world. And thirdly, the world in the moral sense composed of all those things that attract us away from God. The world is uh, ungodly actions, thoughts, deeds, uh, sin, etc. So I'm going to give you a little task to begin with. Think about those three things. We'll take them in order and think about being, keeping yourself unspotted or keeping yourself from being polluted by those three things and then we'll home in on which one we're talking about today. So, 
Does anyone have any ideas about how to keep yourself from being unspotted? How to keep your that's to keep yourself unspotted? That is to keep yourself from being polluted by the physical world. What would you do? How would you keep yourself from being polluted or dirtied or sullied by the world? Yeah. There was a film, wasn't it, Bubble Boy, um, about someone who had just no immune system, could not come into contact with anything that wasn't sterile. And so he was isolated from the physical world. Okay? Withdrew. The, the second one, uh, non-Christian people. So how do you keep yourself from being polluted by you know, people who don't have the same heart and motives uh, as you? Sorry? You live in America. To keep yourself from being polluted, you live in America. You're going to need to explain that. They're all Christians in America. Yes. Yep. Um, okay. You wonder sometimes you know, how far this recording gets, don't you? <laughs> uh, Steve says hi. Um, we can keep ourselves from being polluted by moving to a place where we surround ourselves with, uh, with godly people. Yeah, like a commune, maybe. Yeah, okay. Okay, so your, your two choices are to either surround yourself with people um, who are not going to pollute you, or to withdraw yourself completely from all people, because then you'll prevent yourself from being uh, polluted by the world. Yeah? So we've got withdrawal twice, and surround yourself with the good things once. So you're going to be pleased that we're looking at the third one, which is to keep yourself from being polluted by um, ungodly actions, thoughts, deeds, sin. Okay? How might we do that? And if we come up with some awesome answers, I don't need to do the rest of the preach. How do we keep ourselves from being polluted by sin? Okay. So, um, to get our values from the Bible and to live by those values, okay, such as what sorts of things? Give us an example. Brilliant. Great two to start with. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, let's not limit it to just the news, but there's plenty out there that if we allow ourselves to be immersed in it, pollutes us, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it, well, you might call it spotting. You know, we'd be, be spotted by it. And so, yeah, we can, um, we can make sure that what goes in is good and edifying. Now, whenever James teaches whenever he's talking or the, the, the book of James he he loves to do this words and deeds and faith sort of balancing act where he says look you've got a faith um, in fact the verse says in 127 so he says um, earlier on in, in James that you show me your faith without deeds what I'll do is I'll show you my faith by my deeds. He always has these, these things in tandem. He says, look, you can't go around saying you believe something. You can't go around saying that this is really, really deep for you if you don't, don't then act like it. And so he loves to see evidence of people's faith from what they do and what they say. 
Now let's give this all some context. Verses 19 to 25. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. I love that. It's not, it's not getting rid of stuff that saves you. It's not, not being angry that saves you. But if you're slow to become angry, then you know, anger doesn't produce righteousness. So you, if you're slow to become angry, then you're going you're gonna to get rid of that stuff that, that would stop you having the righteousness that God desires. But the thing that is going to save you is the word planted in you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Wish I could do that sometimes. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And what I love about this, in, a, in its lead up to our main context, our main passage today, is that it, it sets up the pure and perfect religion section so nicely. It really does. Now, it, it's clear that James is talking to us as individuals. He says, dear brothers and sisters. It's not a corporate responsibility, but rather a, a personal one. So, James is writing to us as individual believers. Your faith is your own, so do with it as you please. And pure and perfect religion isn't a reflection of Christianity as a religion or you know, evangelicalism as a part of a denomination of part of Christianity. Pure and perfect religion, it's talking about here, is your expression of it. Now, the word religion gets a bad press, doesn't it? Yeah, we don't like organized religion. We don't, we don't like uh, being religious because it has connotations of um, rituals which you must abide by, which don't have, uh, which cease to have meaning perhaps for some people. So lots and lots of doing in religion or lots and lots of corruption and hypocrisy in organized religion. So religion gets a bad press. But it's not that type of religion we're talking about. It's pure and perfect religion that, you're, that God our Father says, you know what, that's amazing. What you've signed up to, what you've given your life to here is what I want. So that pure and perfect religion is uh, an expression of your faith to look after widows and orphans in their distress. Brilliant. And to keep yourself from being polluted. So, uh, just to hark back to the first part of that. Yeah. My dear brothers and sisters, don't ignore it. Take note of this. This is for you. Listen up. I love it when people say, take note of this, or when Paul interjects on a little on the side and says, now this bit's just from me, not from God. Or uh, when someone says, look, listen. 
and then says something. You know that, uh, that it's dynamite that's coming at you now. So take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. So tips for living a good life. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because anger doesn't produce righteousness. Get rid of all moral filth. Get rid of evil. It's everywhere. Prevalent. And accept the word planted in you. Thank you, James, for that six bullet points for a better life. Get rid of these things. Try not to be angry. You know, it does you no good. It doesn't produce righteousness. And whilst you're at it, you know that, pay attention to the word. Accept it. It can save you. It's incredible. But then he says, look, don't just listen. Do what it says. Continue in the perfect law that gives freedom. And as I say, when I look at James, I am struck by the fact that he says, look, we we can't simply pay lip service to the word. We should put it into practice. We should listen to what is being taught. Uh, And you know, after that, get on with it. Don't just listen. Get on with it. Actually do the stuff. So we get it. If you want to do this properly, it's not just listen and move on. It's putting ideas into action. Perfect. Sometimes when we see, you know, pure or perfect in, in these requirements for us, we, we write ourselves off straight away. Pure and perfect religion? Well, that's, that's not for me, surely. What, like when it says in, we've heard it in, fairly recently in, in recent weeks, um, be holy as your Father in heaven is holy. And we go, wow, count me out. You know, I, I can't do that. It's setting me up to fail here, God. What, what's going on? And pure and perfect religion that your father accepts as holy, pure and perfect, I'm never going to measure up to that. But we know that. But that's why that's not what saves us. The word which is planted in us saves us. As long as I can count Jesus, who purifies us, and the Holy Spirit who, is empow- who empowers us, as long as I can count them in, then I don't need to discount myself because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in us. So the pressure to reach perfection should not make us, you know, exclude ourselves from even trying. Now, this pressure, I think, sometimes gives uh, people rise or cause to, to maybe even doubt their own faith. And... I think that's perfectly normal. One of my favorite verses is the Great Commission. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And if I was to ask you to recall the story, you'd find that Jesus then showed up and sent them out on a mission. But that misses one important factor. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Brackets, but some doubted. Close brackets. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, etc. So Jesus showed up. He said, Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna meet you here. And Jesus showed up, and his disciples, who were with him for three years, worshipped him, and some of them went, I'm Not sure. I'm not sure that's really him. Interesting. And even after that, he said, Right. 
I'm going to start with you guys and create the most world-changing mission that's ever happened. Here, here's where the movement starts. Go out into all the world, make disciples, spread the good news. The explosion of the Christian faith in the first couple of hundred years after Jesus' ascension beggars belief. The, the Bible being written down and copied as it was is just beyond anything else that's ever happened in all of human history. And it started with a bunch of people, some of whom went, not sure that's even him. You know, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when we see that, we can go, you know what? It's probably okay for me to ask the occasional question. It's all right. Some doubted. Now, I've, I've had wobbles in the past about different things. But for me, there are two foundational or fundamental concrete things on, on which I can build the rest of my faith. And I want to share them with you. And I'd love to hear what yours are as well. So whilst you're listening, have a think as well, if you can multitask that way. For me, I love the creation story. And I love a bit of science. And I'm not asking everyone to agree with me, but I think that both are true. I read the creation story, and I read the way that the first thing that happened was this explosion of light. And I read how the world was then formed, and I read how then um, plants came on the, on the planet, and then sea creatures, and then land creatures, culminating in man. And I see how scientists might say that evolution, right? What happened was there was this massive explosion of light, right? Then the world was formed, right? And then there were like plants and stuff. And then there were sea things. And then there were land things. And then man. And you go, I've, I've read that before. You, you've copied something. Right, and, and this is just my interpretation of it. And so the days don't matter for me. The poetic language, the way that, you know, at the end of every day, God says... Um, you know, this is good. I love, that. I love that story and the way it's framed, but I, I, I don't need that to be um, six individual days of creation. Six snapshots, maybe. And so what I think is that God revealed the process of creation to a person. Moses, you know, wrote it down and things, but um, revealed the process of creation to a person and said, look, I'm going to put you into a dream and give you this vision Fast forward of how it all happened. And you've got to interpret that and, and write that down. Here's how it happened. Imagine witnessing the beginning of the universe. And you tell it like that story. And for me, that science has only recently said, you know, it might have happened like this. But for it to be written down thousands of years ago in a way that is complementary. For me, I, I love that fact. No other religion has a creation story that has any hint of scientific sort of parallels. It's all, you know, some god being beheaded and the blood spilled out which formed the oceans and things like that. You know, and there's a lot of poetry in that, obviously. And so that's one of the things for me. And the second one is the empty tomb. The question of the empty tomb. Jesus was a real person of that. There is no question. Even Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist who loves to argue about the, the fact that, or his idea that, that religion, all religion, is nonsensical because you can't prove it with your science. Fair enough. 
But even he says, yeah, yeah, Jesus, uh, Jesus exists. exists. He even apologized for hinting at the, fact, uh, the idea that he might not have existed um, during another debate. He said, yeah, I said that. I was wrong. You know, all of evidence says that Jesus was a man who existed. And he was crucified. And after three days, his body went missing. What happened? And I love the empty tomb as the question mark of who was this man? Because that's not a question you can go, doesn't matter. Because it does matter. And for me, the empty tomb is the beginning of the question which just puts Jesus as God's son. And, you know, I can build my faith on that. Has so anyone else got, there could be experiences, doesn't have to be, you know, point of theology, could be experiences that you just say, if ever I'm having a wobble, I come back to this moment and I think, well, that was God, and so I build my faith on that. Neil? No, Balaam's ass. Okay. Do you have perhaps, as the question hopefully was, a, a good foundation thing on which you can build your faith? <laughs> Uh, okay, <laughs> Richard Dawkins and John Lennox uh, have some amazing debates. And John, John Lennox is um, a maths uh, professor at Oxford um, and a Bible-believing, fully paid-up, Holy Spirit-filled Christian. And to get the two of them going hammer and tongs in a debate, you last for about five minutes before you just say, no, I've got no idea what you're talking about now, because it all goes metaphysical and astrophysical. And... They talk about, Richard Dawkins says, you believe that this man converted water, H2O, into this complex thing called wine that has got all these you know, tannins and other compounds and things in it. You believe that this conversion took place. That's just incredulous. And Lennox replies with, but I believe this is part of the Trinity, the people who made the stuff in the first place, for them to do a bit of, you know, bit of adjustment to it is not a problem for my God. And a talking donkey similarly probably falls into that category of not a problem for my God. A problem for, for your daily sort of experience, <laughs> maybe. But yeah, not a problem for my God. Interesting. Okay. So in terms of that, that builds your faith when, when you experience that love. Mm. Very loving, mm. Yeah, in, in philosophy, uh, they describe it as the mountaintop experience, don't they? That you can have two separate people who experience something and attribute it to God without talking about it beforehand, and that is evidence for the existence of God. Think about uh, not just love and, and positive interactions with others, but also that mountaintop. When you see a view that just makes you go, oh, wow, that isn't an evolutionary response. That's not a, a collection of molecules. There is no, there's no reason that you can give to that spirit sore that you might feel when you see that and just go, well, glory to God. And two people experiencing that independently without knowing that sh that's what you should do, or that's the done thing, is evidence for the existence of God. James, I, th I feel, is kind of kind to us here, because um, he only gives one way in which our religion is spoiled, uh, which was loose tongues, 
uh, but it gives us two ways in which we can try and pursue uh, pure and perfect religion. So that's quite nice. So one way uh, that religion is spoiled, keep a tight rein on your tongues. Because if you don't, you deceive yourselves and your religion is worthless. It's interesting. Keep a tight rein on your tongue. Careful what you say. Because if you say one thing and do another, then the world's just going to go, that's... That just makes a mockery of everything you've just told me you believe in because you've just, you've just, you know, you've just become someone that you just said uh, we shouldn't be. But if you want to get it right, uh, look after widows and orphans in their distress. Now, should we actually go out and try and find widows and orphans to look after? Or would many widows go, I'm sorry, just leave me alone, please. I'm all right. And the orphans... Um, I don't know, they're managed by the state and things, and so we can't all just look after widows and orphans because we you know, contact and all sorts of, of things. Am I just making excuses, or is this uh, perhaps paralleled into something else? What does it mean to look after widows and orphans today? Yeah. Support those who, who help widows and orphans. Yeah, for sure. Widows and orphans are the outcast and destitute and the ones with no, no future and no possibilities in that time. If you're a widow, then your source of income, your source of livelihood, your, the one on whom you depend is, is there no more. And so there wasn't the state to fall back on. And we know that there are still those in our societies, still outcasts, still people on whom, the, uh, who can depend on no one. And we need to find those. And we, we do do that corporately. And I wonder how much we can say to ourselves, uh, that's fine, someone else is doing it on my behalf. I'll keep tithing and, and that'll support that. Or whether you can say, you know what, I, I need, to, need to see what this is about and see how I can support these people who have no one else. I tell you what, being in a pastoral role at school has opened my eyes to some of the need that goes on and how that's expressed on a daily basis uh, by some of the kids I come into contact with. You can kind of shield yourself from it by, by mixing with the, the right kind of people. You know, and that's, that's fine, but please be aware that there are kids who come into school with their only pair of uh, shoes, which aren't school-appropriate shoes because they're trainers, and they have to swap them out for a pair of pumps you know, to, to get by through the day so they're not, they don't draw attention to themselves. Or you know that shirt hasn't been washed this term. Or you know that they haven't had breakfast and so we open up the cupboard with breakfast bits in it and hand some stuff out to some kids. Um, and it's, you know, it's heartbreaking. And so religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. I want God to look at what I do and go, yeah, you're on the right track. We can do that. James 4 verses 7 to 12 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. This doesn't sound like hints and tips for a good life, does it? Grieve, mourn, wail. 
change your laughter to mourning. The point he's making is, until you come to a point where you look at the sin in your own life and go, I just can't handle that anymore. I can't be doing with that. The sin in, in our own lives, myself included, and look at it and go, right, I am I'm actually now coming to a point where I'm upset about the fact that I've done this. Then you're not going to repent. Unless you come to that point of, of you know, grieving, mourning well, and, and turning your laughter to mourning, the laughter being this stuff, this flippant sort of, it doesn't matter that I've done that, you know, God's going to save me, doesn't matter that I've done, and being, you know, disregarding your sin. James wants us to come to a point where we say, no, I'm sorry, Lord, where we're on our knees before him. I am sorry for the things that I've done. And you know what? In that sadness... This last bit happens. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. He turns our tears to joy. He turns our sorrow to laughter. It's our job to say, I am deeply sorry for what I've done. Bit of a gospel message here. You know, until we come to that point of repentance and say, I am deeply sorry for what I've done, then we don't give God the opportunity to say, it's all right. Because we're saying it ourselves, and so we become our own saviour. And so until we say, I am deeply sorry, God can't say, that's okay, and raise us up again. Brothers and sisters, hints and tips for a good life. Do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And very often, who are we to judge God? To say, well, if I was God, I wouldn't have done it like that. Why did God allow this? Who are you, James asked, to judge your neighbor? You're not able to do that. So there's a lot of context there. I believe that this is our key to submit ourselves to God, to come to a point where we, where we understand, prompted by the Holy Spirit, to come to a place where we say, this wasn't right. I actually need to apologize for this. I'm sorry, God. Thank you that you forgive me. Because he does. He's not going to hold anything over us. If we humble ourselves, he's going to lift us up. And very often, when I've been through a period of, um, of just, I don't know, ignoring the prompting of the Holy Spirit, ignoring the conscience, maybe, and just, you know, acting. It's not like I've gone out and killed many people or any people, you'd be pleased to know. But, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not like that. It's just, it's those, those small things that get in the way between, between you and God. A prayer that I've often prayed is to say, Father God, would you please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, sharpen my conscience? May you make that small voice that tells me no, give it a megaphone. You know, make it so that I can't ignore it. It's not God's responsibility to keep us holy, but he can help us because he has sent the helper, the one who comes alongside, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is the helper, we can ask him for help. And so that's a prayer that I pray. You, you might want to take that on for yourself. 
if you know that there's something you need help with. If there's someone that you speak to, you know they're going to start gossiping. And the temptation is to join in. You know, you can say, Father God, help me in that situation. May your voice be louder than theirs. May the temptation to say, I'm sorry, I can't get involved in this conversation right now. I've just got to, you know, excuse yourself. May the ability to purify yourself, to keep yourself from being polluted, be stronger than the temptation to get yourself dirty in that conversation. So our response Please catch the heart of this message. I have not given us a list of do's and don'ts, like do wash your hands, don't lie, don't gossip. But what I am doing is giving us clarity on the essential fact that Jesus is our salvation. The word that is in us is able to save us. And we, filled with the Holy Spirit, can live lives lives that show evidence that God can accept our religion as pure and faultless. How amazing is that? So this is an individual response. It's not something that we're going to need, you know, need to change anything structurally in the church. This is for us as individuals. And so I want to give us a couple of minutes where we just get to think, um, to, to ponder these things, but also straight after that to, to pray. So let me just pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that it is not um, doing these things that saves us. I thank you that in this, in this book, which so majors on our activities being evidence of our faith, even in this book it says, the word that is in you has the power to save you. Father God, I thank you that our response to this needs to be one of reflection where we identify those things that we need to have your forgiveness in. Because when we are forgiven, we are unspotted. When we are forgiven, we are not polluted. Come by your Holy Spirit, I pray. Come alongside, indwell us. Help us to identify those things that we need to sort out with you right now. May we do real business with you right now, Lord. And thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross and enabled us to be forgiven. Without further sacrifice, without further shedding of blood, it was all paid for there and then. And we can come to you and say, someone else has got this this bill. Someone else has got this tab. I just need it paid. Father God, I'm sorry for what I've done. Come, Holy Spirit.